there's really no bad community. There's no bad group. Every place you go, everybody you talk to affords you opportunity in a learning situations. Even in any community, take the best you can out of it and then continue to build on that. And I think in the best intentions, everything's gonna come around and you'll get what you need or else the community will pivot properly. From Exabeam, this is the new CISO, a show about the people who lead IT security teams, the challenges they face, and how they overcome them. I'm Steve Moore, and on today's show, I sit down with Scott Morris, Chief Information Security Officer at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Western New York, to talk about how to be active in the cybersecurity community. We talk about how to encourage young security professionals to find their voice, and the importance of sharing information as a means of strengthening the industry as a whole. Not too long ago, you'd be hard-pressed to find cybersecurity communities to engage with, whereas today their ubiquity might be putting them at risk. With so many and many topical security communities, how do we ensure important issues take center stage, promote information sharing, avoid political problems and the sins of our past, all while nurturing young security talent for the future? Good morning, Scott. Uh, Thanks for being on the show. If you would, for the listener, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you and where do you work? Yeah, good morning, Steve, and uh, thanks for having me here today. My name is Scott Morris, and I work for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Western New York. I am the uh, Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer. Awesome. Now, in that position, because every CISO role is a little different due to work changes and differences, uh, what do you manage? What specific frameworks do you own? Yeah, I have responsibility for third-party cyber risk, GRC, as it's probably better known, information assurance, and then information security proper, the typical domains that uh, people are accustomed to. Okay, so within InfoSec, you have both the technical and the governance and policy as well, correct? That's correct. Awesome. I like to ask this question of every guest. You didn't start off as a CISO with all this responsibility. 10, 20 years ago, what advice would you have for your younger self? You know, that's an interesting question, especially for me. I'm not one to really hold regrets or look back at the past. But, you know, I would say that I've always pursued the uncomfortable and done what I uh, felt needed to be done. So always trying to find the things that we had to solve or problems that I could help with is kind of how I, I got rammed today. And that kind of endless curiosity is how I continue to achieve success in what we do. So just always challenging yourself and making sure that you make the right points and make the right choices. I mean, that's how I feel uh, that I kind of got to where I am and the things that I would continue to tell my younger self is just continue to push. Scott, when you started out, uh, were you more of a technician or a generalist working on policy? What was your actual start in InfoSec? Yeah, well, my actual start uh, was information technology and more importantly, web development. I used to be a web developer by trade and then quickly pivoted to understand I started to realize the risks involved in that and then continued to grow on my information security knowledge and experience. And for a while, I was a authentication and authorization expert with my uh, former organization and just grew from there with, uh, you know, a keen desire to know as much as I can and to, to help as many areas as I could with information security. I often say through observation and conversation that some of the best people in InfoSec actually didn't start off in InfoSec. You kind of have to know how to build things and create them and ultimately break them before you know how to defend and protect them. So it sounds like a great foundation. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You mentioned something earlier. You said that you went toward or would elect to going into the difficult things. So when choosing what to do, seemingly from a career perspective, you took the things that made you nervous or the things that represented a very difficult path. Could you share a little bit of that for us? Because I think that's important to do specifically what is uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing uh, that I, I look back at my career and, and only just recently realized is that from even the early days uh, in previous organizations, I've never actually applied for a position. I've always somewhat, in a way, created the position. Uh, and I did that through exactly your point, Steve, is finding the things that need to be solved, finding the areas where we needed to fix things or make them better. And in my current organization, for example, we had an issue where we were having problems passing or being consistently good at our external audits. And I took that on and turned it around. And through that exposure, uh, very diverse across the organization, I was able to start to piece together the, the, some of the things we needed to, to get where we are today and build the successful security program we have in place. So taking on something, you know, an audit failure is often one of the worst things to have. It's often a career ender. Uh, even worse in many cases than having a major incident, uh, meaning the financial implication and the governance implications of failing an audit are worse. It's just not a popular thing. Uh, and it's typically a, at least a bonus ender. So you take this on, a big monster. Any tips for someone who's getting ready to do something like what you've just done? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a great question because the answer is something I tell all of my team members and my leaders today. For the most part, what we do is not something we're responsible for, and we can only be successful through building respect and great relationships. So you need to understand your control owners or the people that are responsible for these processes and functions and build the relationship with them to help move things forward. It's not done on dictatorship, and you can't rule with a hammer. Yeah, I often used to say uh, for a lot of my career, I had to work with influence before I had any real authority in even when I finally got real authority, it also still didn't always work. Let's talk about security community. I think it's something we don't talk enough about. What was your first experience? Was there a local group? Did you have a mentor? How'd you first get involved and what was that? At my previous role, I worked for a large consulting company no longer around uh, EDS. I had a, a very large community in that alone, but then I quickly realized that you know I needed to have more exposure outside of that started turning to people in an organization locally here. And there wasn't really security communities back then, right? More technology communities. So getting involved with technology trade organizations from my first entry point of that, I was hooked immediately and then continued to grow and expand and to where I am today. One thing I noticed early in my own career, something very similar, there weren't a lot of communities. Uh, and specifically, the ones that were there were ones that you might not want to be involved in, at least from a professional standpoint. They were more tuned to breaking things, kind of more attack focused. Uh, they weren't really about building someone up or specific to being a good defender. What do you think that the responsibility is of security leaders or CISOs in regards to uh, A, having yourself engaged in a larger community and B, allowing your staff to be involved? Uh, are there any rules? Do you have any guidance for people who have direct reports that want to get involved? What are your rules? What, what, what advice do you have? As a leader, I think it's really important to set an example. I try to do that the best I can by participating in these communities in various ways, not only attending, but being a part of it, being an action and a voice within these communities. By bringing my teams along and the people that are in this space, it can only grow that more and more. So 
we have a responsibility as leaders to continue to drive that. And, you know, in Buffalo, we're, we're a pretty small community here. So we, we need that and we leverage those conduits and those forums to continue to grow and vet out what we're doing. So lead by example, participate, and uh, I think the teams will come along. For those listening in the Buffalo area, uh, what are the kinds of benefits you see in terms of change, maybe behavior, skills, whatever it may be, uh, with the junior level folks in the Buffalo area? So they go out, you send them out, they participate. What are the kinds of benefits that you see? How would you justify this? Uh, What are the kinds of things that you'd share? You know, we're fortunate at Blue Cross Blue Shield to have a robust and talented security department. And not a lot of people, especially in Buffalo and, and even more so in these or small and medium-sized markets and organizations don't have the benefits we have. So we push out there and we continue to communicate what we're doing. And it helps a lot of people kind of get past those first few layers of decisions and choices. And when they can hear from a trusted source what we're doing, and frankly, those conversations help us better tune what we're doing. So continue to share our experiences with the community, not only in Buffalo, but across the nation uh, within the Blues is a tremendous help and it's something we're very passionate about and we continue to see success both on the receiving and the giving end. Yeah, that's awesome. I found earlier in my career as well that there were some, how do I say this, some groups where collaboration was not always allowed uh, or welcomed. And some of this was for good reason and some for bad. So when you have leadership like yours, it's willing and active and sharing. Uh, You can gain a lot of ground that way. You can learn what others are doing. You can skill up. We used to even buy training and invite others locally to attend. So if we had a surplus of seats, we would allow them to sit in at no charge, and hopefully maybe they'd return the favor. Uh, Any examples of that? Uh, Maybe something you shared with your executive leadership. Hey, we shared this, and someone shared with us, uh, and we both benefited. I have a lot of those examples. And just recently, a fellow Blue Cross Blue Shield reached out to us and had a seat available and offered it to us, and we were able to send someone down to take advantage of that. We, as our organization in Buffalo especially, and also across other communities I belong to, we try to present topics uh, that we feel others can learn from. And we get great feedback and continue to feel like we're doing, you know, good things for the community by sharing the experiences we had, the lessons learned especially, uh, things to help our organizations kind of uh, have a, a better road to success. So you mentioned lessons learned and sort of educational presentations. What's the outlet for that? You know, there's a sharing of a presentation, and then there's other types of sharing. Uh, There's templates, there's intel, there's indicators of compromise. So the more technical stuff, and then there's the larger variety of things that you would encourage others to share. Maybe that's a better way to ask. What what do you encourage others share? So where we share, uh, we'll take any opportunity we can to share it. But two of our primary outlets for that um, is one within the the Blue Cross Blue Shield community. We have thirty plus organizations, and we we tend to uh, share within that and that trusted community quite often. And then additionally, I'm a huge proponent uh, and a member of HISAC, and that's been a tremendous value for information sharing across the healthcare organization into other places as well. And then in those communities, a lot of threat intelligence information is shared, which is very helpful. And we continue to you know, make progress towards the threat actors and preventing the, the malicious events that happen. Uh, and we've seen tangible outcomes from that information sharing. Uh, That's awesome. What advice would you give to maybe the young CISO or the director manager that's thinking about going to, let's say, HISAC or participate in the Blue Summit? Maybe they're not involved. Um, Maybe they want to present, but they have this feeling, what would I share? What would I do? 
it's not uncommon for people to feel as if they're not smart enough or good enough to have something to share. Uh, what advice would you have for them? You know, maybe they don't have the confidence because it's kind of scary. So what would you share? We've all been there, but what advice would you share? Yeah, I mean, I've been there myself many times. You know, within my team uh, directly, you know, we really encourage participation. And oftentimes those exact conversations are being had. What value could I add? What, why would someone listen to me? And we, we help the people through that. They, they realize how important their message is. And there's always an audience for that. So I think as, you know, uh, a young leader or an analyst trying to get involved, don't underestimate yourself and, and the power of your voice and your message and get involved with the people in that community. Organizations and groups are always looking for topics. And, you know, that there's that old saying, there's no dumb questions. There's no dumb presentations either. Just get out there, get your voice out there. People want to listen and people are genuine about it and they'll give you the feedback you need. And it's only going to help you grow. I think even the action of presenting something I was quite bad at earlier in my career is just the ability to deliver an idea in front of a large audience. So getting comfortable at that is keenly important, especially for a leader. For anyone listening, that should be your goal. If you've never presented at some type of conference, do it. It makes you a better leader in the long run. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Steve. You know, it really takes practice. Uh, I was nervous in the beginning. Quite frankly, this is my second or third podcast. I'm still nervous about these, but get me in front of audience and, uh, you know, I'm right at home. And that took time to get there. And, you know, I'll say one resource I think that everybody should take more advantage of is Toastmasters. It's a wonderful opportunity and gives you a very um, trusted and well-established forum to hone your skill of public speaking. Most of my team goes through it and I continue to encourage people to use that forum. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot. What's the one thing you learned at Toastmasters that was the most effective for you? So you learned something, a technique or a skill. What would that be? What helped you most? <laughs> well, uh, there are more than I can even begin to list in this uh, time we have. But, you know, the first time I did Toastmasters, I got there really confident about what I was talking about. And then they give you very, very candid feedback at the end. And I think I broke a record for how many ums I said during that. And I felt like I said three or four. And that was eye-opening and really gave me something to move forward with. But the feedback I got the best from them that helped me grow is that just own what you're saying, knowing that what you're talking about, you know the most about, and be confident in what you're doing. And that's going to make a world of difference from how your presentation comes off. Uh, That's perfect. Uh, Also, one of the things that if you have nothing to speak about, talk about one of your failures, (laughs) then there's really no one who can own it more than you. I mean, that's your story of how you messed up and hopefully then have observations from it. There's no one who can kind of come over your shoulder and make you feel small as a result of that. So back to community, how do you think it's changed uh, over the years? We've both worked in the Blues family. There's been a lot of changes in there, especially around community and sharing. What are your observations? It's an interesting question. Back when I started, there really was, uh, especially in my circle, little to no cybersecurity or information security community. And now you can't move around a corner without finding some kind of group or something that's um, wanting to talk about that. But interestingly enough, I had a, a conversation in one of my other leadership forums just last week with a bunch of CISOs. And we're finding are these communities, these groups are actually struggling because we're all so busy trying to uh, protect our organizations and move our capabilities forward. I'm starting to see a little bit of downturn in these things and that the people don't have the bandwidth to kind of keep these going. So we need more people that are passionate about keeping an organization going, keeping a topic going, and kind of 
moving those things forward to make sure that we do continue to have this amazing opportunities to participate and share information. So you believe there's almost member fatigue or security community fatigue, meaning there's too many communities or just too much work to be done? Yeah. Okay. How would you explain that? Yeah, a little bit of both, I think, actually. You know, there's uh, several organizations that are nationwide, right, that have local chapters. And I think oftentimes, at least around, around uh, the parts I could travel in New York State, those chapters are struggling. And I think it has a little bit to do with the amount of community out there, the amount of groups that are there. There's a lot of great stuff happening. And I think it's just a matter of focusing on the ones that are important and then taking a little bit of ownership when you're participating and don't count on others to run those groups. Do it yourself if you have to. Step up, make some things happen, uh, and continue to keep these things really flourishing. Could it be that we have such specialization these days within information security that there's a new sort of subgroup being formed? That is, you know, you've got AppSec, malware analysis, IAM, whatever it might be, and these subgroups sort of watered down the larger power of what used to be just security, meaning we were a catch-all and now we've diversified. Uh, Do you think that could be contributory or is it something else? Yeah, I think there's something to do with it in that. And I think a lot of people uh, and a lot of groups have really great ideas, right? And there's a topic around data security or identity management that seems to have tremendous momentum, but I think oftentimes that momentum wanes quickly. And so you try to spin up a group or pivot a group to a new, new uh, civic or direction. And I think sometimes that uh, kind of creates a, a dilution effect and a greater good. You know, often people say that we have a security talent shortage, uh, and I believe we do. I would argue further that we have a leadership shortage that sort of magnifies all of this. Do you think that somehow applies back to the community? That it somehow gets soiled by not having enough strong leaders with them to sort of run these organizations? That's a tricky question, Steve. (laughs) You know, there's no question there is a shortage of cybersecurity resources in all capacities, from specialists to analysts to leadership. And I think the best way into that leadership, or a great way into that leadership, rather, is through these communities and running organizations. There's no better way to build up a network and confidence in your trade than to host these groups because you have exposure to everything. I agree with what you're saying, Steve, to an extent, but I think it's a symbol or a, um, a symptom rather of just how incredibly busy we all are and the, the rapid nature of the cybersecurity world we're living in. What do you think is the greatest growth opportunity within our community? We mentioned earlier, we believe they're struggling. I get that. But cutting out of that, what's then the opportunity? So define growth any way you like, but what's the opportunity you think you see today from it? Well, I mean, I think there's been tremendous growth and quite a catalyst, actually, for uh, the threat information sharing community, right? So that's exploded, whether it's in-person forums, through private chat channels or feeds, right? That's a very, you know, sexy topic that everyone wants to be involved in, hacking and, and threat intelligence, right? It's just very attractive. I think what we need to see is people pivoting towards where the real gaps are and where the next frontier is. And personally, I believe that's in identity management and data security. And if we could have more people really passionate and moving our conversations in that direction around protecting identity, you know, there's that saying, identity is a new perimeter. We have a lot of work to do there uh, and it's a problem for everybody. So I think having focus on those, and we're starting to see that quite frankly, even in the HISAC, There's more and more conversation around identity. I think those topics are where the next exciting conversations are going to be had. 
I absolutely agree. I think understanding the risk that the misuse of a credential and the impact, whether it's internal, external, cloud, you know, theft, misuse, uh, understanding entitlement management, if that goes wrong, deprovisioning, uh, the inability to detect misuse of credentials, lateral movement, all these things, I think people get wrong. And there's often these distractions that are maybe even sexier uh, that get time and, and even money. It's a good thing you have foundations in all of this. So maybe you're the guy to lead it. <laughs> yeah, we're doing our best. Uh, we're actually doing a lot in the HI sec around that and creating a task force around identity. So definitely trying to put my money where my mouth is. I'm sure you are. If there's one thing that you could eliminate from some of the communities in which you participate, uh, what is that? What would you want to see removed in general from the security community? You know, I wouldn't say there's one overarching thing I want removed, right? There's not the same problem with every kind of community or neighborhood or forum I'm in. But, you know, I do think that we need to make sure that level of entitlement is kind of tempered, right? So some of these communities kind of get a little too far ahead of themselves or become maybe too exclusive. And I think those can start to create negative connotations to what we're trying to do. So, you know, keeping it open, keeping it ethical and, and moving everything forward in the, in the best interest of the people that are part of these communities is the important thing to keep in mind. You're not saying that some of these communities could be clicky, are you? <laughs> I guess clicky is a, a, you know, an old school way to put it. Sure. Yeah, no, I'm familiar with this. One of the rules that we put together uh, in my prior life as a result of crisis was be nice and put someone else first. Those were sort of some of the rules, I think, that maybe you mentioned earlier. Uh, eliminating entitlement, being there for the right reasons, not having an agenda, really just wanting to help. We could all use a little more of all of that, I think. Yeah, you know, I'm always careful about my participation. You know, we can always only afford so much time. And, uh, you know, there's really no bad community. There's no bad group. Every place you go, everybody you talk to affords you opportunity in a learning situation. So, you know, even in any community, take the best you can out of it. And then continue to, to build on that. And I think in the best intentions, everything's going to come around and, and you'll get what you need or else the community will pivot properly. So after you've put in your 39 and a half hours as CISO, how do you choose which security communities to be involved in? You know, you only really have so much time. I'm obviously joking about the 39 and a half, but time is valuable, right? What's one or two things you would give the listener to say, hey, I see these characteristics as part of a good community. And I see them typically lacking in ones that are less valuable. Is there a measure that you have? Yeah, I'm definitely an overachiever in that regard. I try to participate everywhere I can. Uh, and I, I have um, realized my limits in many cases. But I, I think um, it's about setting the appropriate expectations with yourself. And in some cases, the people in that, that community, that group around your participation, right? So I want to be involved. I want to help. Maybe I just can't be there every time. But also making sure that it's not just you're not just there for the, the party or the vendor sponsor, right? But you're really there to learn. Uh, and if you go to one, I think you can pretty quickly determine if it's just, if it's a party, so to speak, or if it's really there for a networking opportunity. So, you know, just being careful what you do and making the right choices, I think, will, will, it gives me the right guidance every time. But very rarely do I come across something that's just not great. You know, it's all about what you make of it. Yeah, I think for me is if I can explain back to my peers and ultimately the staff, why am I there? Why am I spending my personal time? Is it a professional reason? Is it personal? And then sort of share the outcomes of how did I get better and, and how does that benefit our larger organization? 
Yeah, you know, and that to that point, Steve, um, you know, I, I do often have an opportunity to, and invites, right, to participate in many, many different forums. And often, I mean, I always will bring back the information I've learned, the connections I've made from those forums to help the team. Uh, and I'll quickly uh, invite members of my team or members of the local community who may not have that exposure to get involved. So I'm always trying to grow it through my experiences. You hit on something there that's incredibly important. I can't stress this enough. At some point, I believe that as a leader, you have to give up those spots and invite someone else, uh, maybe one of your mentees, maybe even a peer. So as you grow, you're going to get even more invites uh, and more, be more well-known and more influential, which you are. There's a point in time, I think, where you have to rotate through. Anything you'd add to that? No, I mean, it comes pretty natural, I guess, um, in my case. And I'm lucky because I have a really great team of people who really want to be involved as well. Um, it's not me pulling them around, pulling them along. It's really everybody wanting to be there. So my team, uh, my leaders are very eager and outgoing in, in that nature of getting involved. So we all kind of share that mission together. So I can go out, they can go out and discover uh, communities and forums and, and channels. And we very quickly get our people involved. And then we, we all kind of stay involved through each other. So it, it kind of creates a very large network uh, for us to participate in. What a nice thing. I mean, if you can give your opinion, but also say, you know, these other leading organizations that are doing it this way as well, uh, it's almost soothing, especially to some executive audiences. Uh, do you find there's also a, a, a halo effect? So not my opinion, but there's these other organizations. Is that a skill? Is it an art? Is it helpful? It's something that I, we definitely leverage a lot. You know, we do have the, um, the advantage of having the blues uh, with, as a trusted source for us but also the other communities. Uh, often when we're selecting products, uh, a strategy, implementing policy, whatever it may be, we reach out to our communities to get feedback, uh, examples, whatever we can. And I almost cite uh, who it is that we're, we're kind of modeling after or leveraging. When we do these things, I communicate up through leadership that, oh, by the way, um, this organization and this organization have done this, um, and we talk to them and be able to learn some lessons from them to make this the most effective and efficient implementation or adopted policy we could possibly do. Perfect. So if you had your team involved or maybe some of your other leaders, is there a measured outcome? So something where you can say, hey, we were involved in these communities and this is the output. Do you have a message uh, predefined that you share if let's say a senior leader asks? You know, I, I don't think there's a... Um, a measured outcome or maybe even directly a benefit from what you do. But we do try our best to do that. So we actually report, one of our metrics is our participation uh, in events and community across the department. Uh, so we track how often we do that. We report that all the way up to our board of directors. We have a very supportive leadership of helping uh, the community uh, in any capacity, whether it's in the cyber community or someone who could be affected by it. So uh, we do report that out. And then also, I think, not, not something measured, but like I said earlier, we use the information, uh, the conversations, the network we build to help enhance our cyber strategy um, as we go forward. So you've just shared something, and it's the first time I've ever heard it. Your cyber community involvement is not only tracked, but shared with the board. I've never heard that. Uh, I certainly applaud your executive leadership team. I applaud you and your board for wanting that piece of information. I'm very fortunate from that regard. My leadership and board acknowledge that. And it's not just participation in a cyber community, but it's using our cyber experience to help the broader community, not only our, our employees, our staff, our members, but our providers. 
our brokers. We do what we can to uh, get out and socialize this and help them understand and benefit from the information we have to help protect themselves. And, and that's something that our organization feels strongly about. And we continue to drive forward. This is such an interesting thing. And not only do I love it, but I think it's something that more people would also love to do themselves, uh, but maybe don't know how. What advice do you have on how to frame that message? Yeah, I'm not sure if I have the right answer for that question, Steve, but the way one thing that I think has driven the value out of our participation uh, is that we all know we all want to have our staff as trained, as much training as possible. Uh, and conferences often afford us that training at a diverse level, right? So it's not just one thing, but you may have a couple topics. So it makes a lot of sense, but often people question the value of a conference and, and what you're really doing there. So I think one of the metrics or measures we've done has been very successful is that if you want to attend a conference as a team member of mine, then you need to submit to participate in that conference. Now, it's difficult to always be selected to present, but going through that effort uh, and that action to create what's necessary to submit a paper or a presentation provides a lot of value and gives that, that kind of ownership of being there. So that's been very successful, and uh, my team's been very fortunate, and we participate in uh, quite a few conferences throughout the year. And I think that's a great metric to bring back to your leadership to justify they're not just there to network or to be there, but you're also participating, adding to the conference you're at. That's fantastic. I, I can't support that enough. Many years ago, I had someone approach me wanting to attend a conference, and this person was brilliant. Uh, I wanted him to not only go, but also present. And that was at first pretty unpopular. Uh, as time went on, the person became more comfortable with that idea, but it's all about expectation settings. And I think even as you go back, not only as justification to that individual, but also to the leadership team to say, look, we don't just show up to these things. We're going to do more than just participate. We're going to create content. We're going to share. We're going to act as a catalyst uh, to the larger community. That I think is one of the most important things we can do. Yeah, I think it's one point is important there, Steve. It's important to eat your own dog food there too. So I don't go to anything without participating. So very rarely will you see me somewhere where you're not going to see my name on an agenda some, in some capacity. Uh, so uh, you're not just sitting around enjoying the uh, hors d'oeuvres, are you? No, no, we're, we're there to, to get the message out and to, to build that network. So uh, I'm passionate about it. I love it myself. So someone just starting out, what piece of advice would you give them? Let's say it's a new intern hire. Uh, what advice do you have? Well, our interns are dragged to everything we do. <laughs> they don't have a choice. But, you know, you got to be outgoing and you can't be shy about it, right? Just go to these things, even if as a, as a high school or college student, you don't have to you know, be the, the light bulb in that room. Just be a body in that room. Learn from what's going on. Observe the people and get out there. If you're not out there, you're not trying, you're not learning, you can't grow, you can't start participating. Years and years ago, I started a small group here in town in Indianapolis. And once that got started, I think the biggest benefit, honestly, is when you went to other security events in other cities, we knew someone there. Uh, it can be a little intimidating. You know, sometimes we're not the most social. So early in our career, um, that's not maybe our personality type. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Scott, we're coming to an end here. Uh, one question I wanted to add, and this, I think, is the first time we've asked this. Uh, but as the title of the show, the new CISO, what is being a new CISO? What's that mean to you in terms of tackling challenges and all the rest? Is there a new CISO and what's that mean to you? Uh, are we going through a change? That's a great question. And I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think in many ways, I feel like a new CISO every day uh, or at least every week. 
things are changing so rapidly, not only in technologies, but in techniques and expectations. As a CISO, you you have to be operating at a business level, which wasn't quite the case a couple of years ago. So I think that I feel like a new CISO all the time, and you just have to be willing to learn. And you need to learn from the people in your community and your teams and around you to keep you that way. If, if you think you know it all, then you're already losing. So always, I'm always trying to grow. I'm always trying to learn from people around me and trying to just participate where possible and glean any bit of information I can to help just create the next step in our strategy. I think knowing you and spending some time with you, I believe humility is one of the things that comes through as well, uh, which if I were going to give one ingredient to more people in general, and sometimes in information security, it would be just that. Uh, something I didn't always have myself. I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to share with us today? Uh, when's your next community event? Uh, where are you headed next? <laughs> I think our uh, next trip, actually the summer's pretty slow. So I think it's probably not until the fall where we have uh, our, the blues all get together and we, we kind of talk what's going on. And then uh, the HISAC summit's coming up in December. That'll be the, the big one for me and a great one for the uh, health community. For those interested, you know that Scott and some of his team will not only be there, but leading and participating. So Scott, I can't thank you enough for being a part of the show and sharing all of what you know with the security community. Again, thank you for spending the morning with us today. Well, thank you, Steve. It's great to be here. Appreciate the opportunity to share. I really enjoy listening to your podcast uh, and look forward to hearing this one. That concludes this episode of the new CISO. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more episodes, suggest a topic, or nominate a guest, please visit exabeam.com forward slash podcast.